My name is Jacob Stoops. And I'm Jeff Luella. And you're listening to the Page Two Podcast. This is our podcast about the people of the SEO industry. We chronicle the real life stories, experiences, challenges, and advice from some of the most amazing people in the business. In this week's episode, the season three finale, we talk with Azim Ahmad. You know him as Azim Digital award-winning digital marketer, international conference speaker, diversity advocate, and host of the Azim Digital Asks Digital Marketing Podcast. Azim shares how he began as an aspiring sports journalist, and when that didn't work out, he shares how he landed his first SEO gig. He discusses his time at multiple agencies, his transition to in-house SEO roles, and the different challenges each type of role presents. We also get into salary transparency, disparities in salary, knowing your value, and we share our experiences and advice for negotiating the salary you want. We also cover off on why he decided to start a podcast and how he has used his podcast to build his personal brand. For our core topic, there's no better way to end the season than by digging into diversity and inclusion. We talk about Azim's article from February entitled Diversity, Inclusion, and Marketing in 2021, Why Has Nothing Changed? We discuss the current state of diversity inclusion in SEO. Azim shares his experiences. We discuss what areas we believe still are not where they need to be and what we can all do to improve diversity and inclusion in our industry. Lastly, we take our final round of Twitter questions of the week and award an entire box of Page 2 podcast swag. So get your popcorn ready as we tell Azim's SEO story and have another great roundtable discussion. Hey everybody, this is Jacob Stoops and we are back for episode 75, the season three finale, the last episode we are going to be doing this season before Jeff and I uh, go on a little bit of a hiatus for this summer before season four. Uh, If you don't know me, I'm Jacob Stoops, SEO director at Search Discovery. I'm joined, of course, by the aforementioned Jeff Luella, senior technical SEO at the Wirecutter division of the New York Times. Jeff, how's it going? Going great. Hey, howdy, hey, everybody. Hey, howdy, hey. And Jeff, I'm I'm glad to hear your voice because all throughout yes. the week, I was a little worried that Jeff had had died. Uh, I, I could not get a hold of <laughs> Jeff to save my life. Jeff is a busy, busy, busy man. You know, I, 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 uh, I bought myself a Raspberry Pi um, <laughs> 4, which is the newer one, and I loaded all Python on it, and I'm yeah. trying to create a scraping device <laughs> that is separate from my computer. So, and learn Python at the same time. So I am uh, going in there and then, you know, yesterday was tech SEO boost. So I uh, spent a lot of days, like a lot of listening there, um, especially in the Python section of things. So one day I might be a Pythonista or Easto. I don't know how it goes there for the, yeah. <laughs> the male side of things, but uh no, I just need enough to know how to scrape a few things and run some tasks. And, and uh, I've been using kind of Node.js and JavaScript stuff. And, and I think it's time for me to, to jump on the, the Python bandwagon. That is a, uh, a fitting way, I feel like, to to end this season. Jeff Jeff learns Python. 
and eats yes. raspberry and eats raspberry pie. <laughs> pie four. Pie four. Uh, all right. So we've got an amazing show today. We have an amazing guest uh, and he is an award-winning digital marketer, international conference speaker, diversity advocate. We're going to get deep into that and host of his own podcast, the Azeem Digital Ask Digital Marketing Podcast. So we're going to go ahead and bring him on. Mr. Azeem Ahmad, welcome to the show. How's it going, guys? It's going great. It's going great. I even get a round of applause. Love that. Yeah. Yes. Yes. It's going great. I think the next season we might have some sound effects, I think. (laughs) Yes. We'll have the the polite golf clap sound sound effect. I could probably do that now, but I don't have an actual radio board in Mm -hmm. front of me. So this isn't like a true radio station or anything like that. It's all done post production and any sound is done post-production keeping up to zim's name you can do that all digitally now you don't need a board (laughs) right right yeah it's uh it's it's funny did you hear me say things like post-production doesn't that make us sound like we're really professional (laughs) post-production and editing sounds like we've we've got a legit operation here uh when really it's just held together by uh by glue and duct tape to be quite honest (laughs) Uh, Azim, we're really, really, uh, we're really happy to have you on. Uh, no pressure to carry us through the through the finale. This is our 25th episode of the of the season, our 75th episode over overall. Um, you know, I always have said the the past couple of seasons. Um, you know, it's been you, you start the season. We typically start in the fall. And it feels very, very invigorating. And then this is going to be complete transparency. By the end of the season, um, when you've done a, a huge batch of episodes, quite honestly, it's it's a little uh, tiring and exhausting. And that is just the reality of running a, a podcast. Doesn't mean I want to stop running a podcast, but damn it. Um, I think after this episode, it is a good time to to take a, take a break. Um, but we are going to bring an amazing episode uh, today. So we're yeah. going to talk uh, to Azim about his background, his story, uh, and I'm going to do uh, what we never do. I'm going to set up the whole episode so people know what's coming. Uh, you know, it only took us 75 episodes <laughs> to figure out how to announce the format at the beginning of the episode. So we're going to tell Azim's story. And then for our core topic, uh, and we don't know if core topics are going to stay or go next season. We'll see. But we're going to talk about uh, probably the best way, in my opinion, to end the season by talking about diversity and inclusion. That's been uh, a huge point of emphasis, uh, you know, for us throughout the season, uh, especially with the types of things we we've been promoting. It's been a um, a huge deal for us for a long time, uh, and who better to dig into it with uh, than Azim? Uh, and then, of course, we're going to end the episode like we end every episode with Twitter questions of the week, and we are going to award a huge box of swag. Uh, and, you know, we got an interesting comment that uh, I think there was a language or an interesting question. There was certainly a language barrier. Did you guys know that in Australia, swag really is like a little tent? Because I didn't know that. I thought it was I know just, that either. Yeah. So I got like a side, a side message from one of the question at, a- answerers that said, like, I feel like my joke fell flat a little bit. Maybe it was lost in translation. And it definitely, it definitely was, but it was the impetus for us. So in the U.S., swag means stuff or shit you, we all get, right? It's typically associated with 
merch. merchandise at events or uh, things uh, things like that. And we've been giving out a lot of swag uh, this season. Swag and today, uh, because somebody made a swag slash tent joke, uh, which is funny, we're going to give away an entire box full of swag. So that's going to be hoodie, T-shirt, nice. coasters, masks, stickers, everything, basically everything we have. Whoever wins the, the, the question uh, is going to get all of our available merchandise as a I think way we to need end. like signed autograph photos of us, like our headshots. Yeah. <laughs> yes. If we're like, we're celebrities. That'll be next. Black season. and white. <laughs> that will be next season. Uh, all right. So Azim, I, you know, you've been waiting patiently. Um, we want to do just a, a couple of, a couple of quick things, and then we're going to dive into your story. We appreciate you uh, kind of hanging out there, hanging out there with us. So of course, Every episode, we talk about uh, Hamlet's company, Rank Sense. So if you've listened to the podcast uh, for any length of time, you'll know that Hamlet Batista was a guest on our podcast earlier this season and sadly passed away, um, you know, due to COVID. Uh, you know, it, it still kind of really hurts to, to talk about it. Uh, it's still kind of not, it's almost like, it, you know, it's hard to believe. Uh, it's only yeah. been four months, uh, which it seems like, forever ago but it's not that long ago um you know he's created an amazing company he left an amazing legacy uh you know with the the way that he you know spearheaded the the python uh movement within the seo industry uh we do want to do our best to to make sure that the people left behind his family uh there was a gofundme uh it's probably still uh still running that generated a lot of money for his family there's no way to fill the void that is left behind uh but all we can do is do our best to support those who are left behind so i will point to the gofundme one last time you can search hamlet batista gofundme and you'll get the link uh and then of course we've talked a lot about his amazing platform rank sense it's a meta cms uh which basically allows you to get through the biggest uh, problem in SEO, in my in my opinion, when it comes to like you know tactical stuff, uh, and that's implementation, especially on the agency side. It allows you uh, to get things implemented a lot faster. Um, and then, of course, United Search. Uh, you know, we won't do the entire live read, uh, but you know, we've been uh, you know really behind what they're doing. They're doing some amazing things for diversity and, and inclusion. Uh, it's really been something uh, that we care deeply about, which is why you will see, you know, as long as we're running the podcast balance uh, with the types of guests that we are bringing on, uh, it won't, you know, it won't just be one type. We want to talk to people from all walks of all walks of life, all voices. Uh, you know, we want to give everybody a platform to tell their story and share their thoughts. And that is exactly what United Search uh, is doing. Uh, they are giving uh, through their program, you know, people that want to get into pub public speaking who are uh, part of an underrepresented group, your, 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 your BIPOC, your LGBTQIA+, uh, over 55, uh, you know, any uh, women, especially, um, you know, anybody that's part of an underrepresented group they're giving an opportunity to either be a mentee or a mentor to be able to get, uh, you know, get uh, mentorship to help them break into the speaking community, uh, you know, within search. Uh, and if you're somebody that has been doing it for a while, you get the opportunity to work with somebody who's looking to break in. So if you want to learn more about United Search, 
visit unitedsearch.org. And on Twitter, it's actually backwards, which sometimes confuses me. It's search underscore united. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, yeah. It always, it, every time I read the, the live read this season, uh, it always got me. Uh, it always got me there at the end. I almost flubbed it up many times, but uh, that'll probably be the last live read uh, there for a little while. We will look for uh, different organizations to sponsor uh, next season. So more to come there. So Azim, you're now on the on the hot seat, uh, but you're used to this. You run your you run your own podcast, right? So yeah. you're used to to the talking. Uh, now here's the part where you carry us through the season season finale, uh, <laughs> and you know, as season finales, uh, you know, we joke we joke around a lot. But there's you know, I'm just wondering at what point uh, is there a, is there a plot twist and Jeff kills me off so he can take over the show or something? Is it, there has gonna, to be some sort of a plot twist or we've got to tie up loose ends here. I'm gonna rebrand it to the page one podcast you know. that's right that's that's what i'm an overachiever at. yeah once we get once we get a little bit better at this whole thing we'll be yeah. worthy of the page one well now you know you're gonna die the plot twist will be the method of your death oh my yes. god oh my god mm. <laughs> it's gonna be some mob related death because <laughs> no. he's obsessed with the mob it's gonna be a robots disallow that gives me a heart attack <laughs> bring it back to seo so azim um you know, tell us about the about the beginning, right? You, you've been in digital marketing now for seven or eight years. Um, where did you start? Tell us your your story. Tell us about yourself. Yeah, um, absolutely. Firstly, thank you very much for for having me on. Full disclosure: I've planned my entire week around this. So normally, um, on a weekend, I edit my own podcast. I'm not doing that this weekend. So the feelings you mentioned about having a break this weekend, I'm absolutely going to be doing that but yeah um a little bit about me i'm azim ahmad better known as azim digital purely because people quite often spell my name wrong and it started to piss me off basically <laughs> um people have asked me before if digital is actually my last name i did toy with the idea of changing it but um i'm sure my family would uh, <laughs> disown me but yeah um i've been in the industry for about seven to eight years now um started off on, on the dark side to as you might think uh, in in the world of ppc um and then broadened out um very quickly i started to to think i was very keen very hungry early on to learn more um and i was lucky enough to start in the industry uh, working with a really really good line manager and, and nothing was um nothing was too big a question for him and i really sort of flourished and grew under his leadership and that got me thinking look i don't want to be a, a ppc guy forever because one day google might just stop running the advertising product much to the joy of seos everywhere and um, <laughs> one day they might stop doing that um so i thought i need to diversify because it's just one one part of the wider puzzle isn't it so Progressively started to branch out into other areas, so social media, uh, display, programmatic, hopped into the, the world of SEO. Um, I've done I think, pretty much everything except for TikTok, but I will tick that off the list soon, pun intended. Can um, I see some of your dances? No, absolutely not. I don't have my own TikTok account. I'm far too old for that. Uh, uh, <laughs> I love it. I was on it when, back when it was Musical.ly. <laughs> 
I don't dance though. Well, actually, there might be some dancing if you deep down in there, but don't look that deep. You just gotta, time you'll gotta get a few few drinks in him. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> so, what did you like before you got into digital marketing? What did you want to do with your life? Oh, this is gonna sound so boring. So, apologies to your listeners in advance, but I am. Um, I always wanted to be um, a football sort of soccer journalist. I just loved the idea that people human beings actually got paid every weekend to watch a game and then write about it it was more the watching the game not the writing about it then i jumped into a, a, a journalism degree and i was like i'm gonna make this dream a reality and very quickly i realized fuck there's a lot of work that goes <laughs> that goes into this uh so i quickly had to had to reframe my uh my goals yeah, you know what? It's really, really funny. Uh, this is not the first time we've heard journalism. Not the first yeah. time. There is going to be a day when we when we do an infographic. Maybe when we get to um, episode 100, we'll look back at all of the guests and we'll we'll total up, you know, what they did before they were SEOs. And I would say uh, journalism would be pretty close to the top of that list. And uh, you know, I I often ask myself, what is it about? journalism um other than you know it being it being a a dying industry now as you know the the paper goes to print right and Mm. you know they have to or i'm sorry the print goes to digital uh digital format so you got you know less people subscribing people are now used to the idea of being able to find whatever information they want for free without having to pay for it. Uh, Jeff knows better than anybody by now with the, oh, you know, yeah. working on the New York times. Uh, and not, on, not only that um, it, with people that we've interviewed in the past, they coming out of college because of all of the, the economic factors going into it have found it difficult to find, find work. So I guess, you know, when, you know, when you were thinking about this outside, outside of it uh, requiring a lot of diligence, is that anything that you, that you ran into? Yeah. So you're going to love this. Um, <laughs> so my degree and, and to, to your point earlier on, lots of the people that I've spoken to on my podcast have also done journalism degrees. And I never thought that it'd be so many. We should probably like bank heads afterwards and be like, how many people has this happened? And the point that you made earlier on, so my degree was different to a traditional journalism degree. It was a major and a minor. So I majored in journalism and did loads of other modules like law, media law and everything around it. Um, And then I minored in what was then called new media, which what we now know as the web and social media. So I always had that uh, extra bit in the locker Um, and fast forward when I left university um, I went for a job I won't bore you with the whole story but it was a pretty intense interview process Um, and the second of fourth stages the second of four stages was me sitting there vividly remember this day it will just stay with me forever but it was just me sat across the table from what would be uh, my line manager and she was dressed very formally and you just no, when you just look at this person like you, you don't want to say the wrong thing because th- her look would have just killed me there and then she said to me in the second year of my degree she said i've noticed here that you switched from print journalism specialty to looking at online journalism and why did you do that so my answer to her was you know nobody's really 
buying physical newspapers anymore. People are out and about when they're commuting, they're getting it on their phones or on the tablets. Um, nobody actually buys a physical newspaper before. Uh, her response, were, of all the responses that I'd pre-programmed in my head that she was going to come back to me with, and I was not prepared for this one. So she had my CV in front of her in her hand. She basically like scrunched it up in her hand, threw it at me, and she said, don't give me a bullshit answer. Answer that question again, but tell me the truth this time. Immediately, that light blue shirt what? was what? soaked, absolutely soaked. I just wow. remember, it felt like I was sat in a tub. I was just soaked. And I was like, that is the truth. I haven't lied. What? What is she thinking that I was lying about? And I can't remember how I got out of that situation, but I managed to progress to the next round of the interviews. And she said in the feedback, that was purely to put me under pressure and see how I'd cope under pressure. And I yeah. was like, wow. Because I was like, I've legit told you the truth here. <laughs> Holy crap. That's an incredibly aggressive interview style. I wonder how many people she did that to. And, uh, you know, on her part, probably, I, I'm assuming that's her personality. Sounds like a, like a devil wears Prada sort of, sort of situation, that kind of boss. But at yeah. the same time, if you're doing that to everybody, it's a bit of, acting as well going into that like mm. almost like a method acting um yeah that's never happened to me in an, in an interview that's I just down down up and left. yeah <laughs> i need to drive first let me tell you that. i was like yeah <laughs> wow never yeah you know my worst interview i would say like outside of like getting the feeling that they were you know people on the other side of the table didn't believe a word i said um, and this is early in my in my SEO career, I would say like my most intense one, I had to drive a couple of hours uh, from Columbus to Cleveland to do like an eight hour interview where I literally was just getting probed with questions upon questions. And Jeff, like this happened, this was the agency we used to work at to, together way back in the day. That was how long the interview was for me. I don't know what your experience was, but, but my my interview was pretty intense. Uh, it was crazy. Oh, I'm so good that they just went off of my- Sight uh, my... unseen. <laughs> exactly. Sight unseen. I, I just pulled up and they're like, you got the job, so. <laughs> right, right, that's how it works. Um, so Azeem, you've, you, you know, you've moved uh, into an agency uh, uh, is it, yeah, agency. What was that like? What was your experience working at an agency? Yeah. Um, really intense, but I absolutely loved it because for me, I learned so much so quickly. Um, and like, if I could start all over again, I literally wouldn't change that at all. I think in an agency you have to, because you're working with so many different clients of different sizes and in different verticals. So you kind of, forced into that environment of having not only to learn your clients businesses verticals sectors but also how everything works at the same time so it was learning two different big strands at the same time and for me i was i was quite keen to learn because i knew that like this is the beginning of my career this is my very first job and, and what i do here will really set the foundations for the rest of my career i never thought then like Fast forward so many years down the line, I'd be having my own podcast or I'd be a guest on somebody else's brilliant podcast. But yeah, I knew that if I just worked, got my head down, people would, would recognize that and, and see 
see me as someone who's got the potential to go somewhere because I knew I saw people who were quite senior in the company in the same building and I thought one day I want to be where they are so I know that I'm gonna have to get my head down and do it but yeah brilliant brilliant to start an agency loved it and and then eventually you you went in-house uh you've done in-house a couple of times uh Hmm. you know what was the impetus for you moving from an agency to go to go in-house so the, the first time, um, everything that I've just said about being um, hungry and wanting to learn, I'm about to just shit all over it now because I was quite happy where I was uh, and a recruiter got in touch with me saying, we've seen your profile, got the perfect job for you um, and, and it's here. And I was like, okay, so here is 50 miles away from home for me and I am not in a position where I want to relocate just yet. So if I were to move, I would want at least another 5K than what you're offering because I'll need to travel 50 miles one way and 50 miles the other way. Recruiter was like, that's not a problem. Um, They literally told me everything that I wanted to hear at the time. I just literally just sucked it all in. I was gone. I was sold. So they said, here's the job. This is what it's about. I was like, right. This sounds interesting. And then fast forward, went through the interview process and I'd asked for 5K more than the recruiter had put me in for. The recruiter said, look, they're interested. They want to offer you the job um, and they'll give you this much, which was slightly more than what I'd asked for. At first, I thought, well, this is like a con. There's no way I'm, I'm worth this much. Um, but they were like, they really liked what you said, how you presented yourself. And I was like, boom, this is it. So the main motivation, other than, diversifying and learning other channels um, was the fact that I could take this jump in salary. At the time, in the agency, their salary structure was quite fixed. So no matter what results you achieved, you would only ever achieve like one, two, three K or four K pay rises. I could get 30,000 euros from a client and turn that into 30 million euros in immense. You'd only ever get 1k 2k 4k so that that was the downside of their pay structure and then somebody comes in saying well at the time of an agency when i got a really good result it was used as a case study for google so they saw that and that's how i think they got in touch with me then i was like somebody's actually seeing what i'm worth here at the time i didn't realize it's a a recruiter who's just like thinking of this yeah and then then i got sucked in um but if i could put percentages on it it probably would have been 60 percent salary and and 40 percent um the role but yeah i do not look back on that unfavorably at all i learned so much met some brilliant people um got some good good connections there um and i'm really grateful for for the experience for sure you brought up a couple of interesting things that i want to that i want to dig into um well number one the the agency the the fixed salary structure it actually reminds me of my my wife uh who's a teacher who I've talked about a, a couple of times on the podcast. And not only that, um, you know, have either of you guys ever worked at a place where it's unionized? I don't know how big unions are in the, in the UK. Yeah. 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 So when you work for a union, uh, unions at one time were a really great thing in terms of keeping you moving from a, from a compensation, uh, you know, workplace safety, fair treatment, uh, sort of thing. But in this day and age, it's a lot different. 
in terms of the experience. I'm not saying everybody has had this experience, but take my wife as an example. My wife is a stellar, stellar teacher. Um, She's got a lot of really amazing experience. She, when she receives uh, reviews or accolades for her job, she's like a, she's like a top performer. And the problem is she operates and she's completely underpaid. All teachers are completely underpaid. Um, and they operate within that tiered model based on years of service, right? So there are times where she gets very frustrated because um, no matter how far above and beyond she goes, there's no incentive for her to do anything better because she's not going to be compensated you know, any more for it. And I think her frustration often comes from when she runs up against people that are the on the other side of the equation where they're doing the bare minimum and making more uh, because they have more years of service or whatever. And it's just kind of against her nature not to be a top performer, but it does become frustrating when she's doing things like grading papers on the weekend to know that like, I'm not going to see a dime more from this. And it's been like for her a... A, a long breakup of sorts, not that she wants to change professions, but that where she had a really hard time before kids, uh, before we had kids separating work and home. Uh, and we've really had a lot of conversations uh, around that, like, hey, I know you want to grade on the weekend and I know you want to get ahead, but are they going to pay you more money? And is it worth doing that versus spending time with your kids? And the answer is always no. Um, and that's like a complete, complete tangent. I don't know what your guys' uh, expectation or experience is, but when you get into a fixed salary situation, it's demotivating for top performers. As, as somebody who's in the middle of middle age, tell your wife not to rock the boat, okay? Because <laughs> I'm on that old side. No, I'm just kidding. As, right. as, as someone who I have a whole family of teachers except me and my dad and uh, my mom, brothers, sister-in-law are all teachers. And I, I see it like there it's, it's crazy. And, and from an outside view of always being in like corporate America and especially starting on the internet when it was young, it was kind of like, man, like you, you know, you have your fixed salaries. You can't get more than that. Like I, I, there's a freedom to being able to like leave anywhere and just, go find another job, especially in the agency world where you're kind of doing the same thing everywhere you're at. Um, but it, it, I am in an interesting spot in the New York times because like we do have unions on the, you know, the editor sides and the writer side, there's the uh, New York writers unions, but the, the engineers are now unionizing and it's, we're in like a weird, well, at least, at least for me, it's weird, right? It's because I, I've never been in a union and I wouldn't be part of this union if, if it happened, but they're like, the demand has been put forth to, to New York times right now saying like, except our union. Um, and so it's interesting to see where it's at. So I, I always, in, I enjoy seeing all that and I get all their points there. I just, uh, it's just, I've never been in like seen a developer's union, right? So that's uh, something that's new that's happening here. And in and, and New York Times, like, again, like, so they, it's going to be an extension of the writer's union and it's so that we're not pushing people too hard and, and really having like those crazy hours that sometimes developers have to do. Um, developer jobs always a little crazy that way, right? Where it's like something needs to launch and go out or something did launch bad. And now you're working all these late hours. Um, and it's a lot of times you don't get compensated after that fact. Um, so that's where they're trying to get some rules. Like, Hey, if you just had to put a 24 hour workday, 
you get the next two days off or something like that. And I think that's where like the unions come into place and, and making sure that everything's equal. I mean, we're very huge in, in the you know DEI and diversity and, and all that at the New York times. And um, every company meeting, we, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a chat, you know, and it's, it's going through and we have like officers in the company that are, are focused on that. So I think the unions are, are good, a good way there though. I've never been in the union myself. So. I'm turning like my view on it. I used to be anti-union. Now I'm like, they got their point. I just, you know, still haven't been in one myself. So Azeem, one of the other things you said um, that I picked up on uh, was that you didn't think you were worth a certain certain salary, right? Uh, when they offered you more. Um, let me ask you, why did you, why did you think that? And how did you get kind of over that and realize your self-value because that I see is a, is a very common problem uh, in the in the industry uh, and specific in my opinion to both uh, underrepresented groups, women especially, and uh, you know my minorities. And not only that, I've seen a lot of talk recently, and I don't know how true it is because I'm not walking around asking people what their salaries are about like there's a big wage gap between what SEOs make in the U.S. and digital marketers and what they make in the UK and, and elsewhere. So how did you eventually get to a point? Well, one, why did you feel like you didn't deserve a certain wage? And how did you get to the point where you, where you, I'm assuming you now have a certain amount of confidence, uh, you know, about the wages you're, you're making and asking for. (laughs) (laughs) So great question. So back then, where that thought came from when I was at an agency was that I knew that I could only ever move up, let's say for argument's sake, 4k. I knew that no matter what I did, the most I would ever make on top would be another 4k. So I only learned that quite late into my um, tenure at the agency. I was hungry, got my head down, boom, just sort of crept on. Then as I started to progress and got into like management level roles, I thought, right, okay, now I can, I know I can execute, but can I lead a team to execute the same? And can I motivate a team to execute? When I was working with this, this manager, who's absolutely brilliant, a lot of um, super transparent about everything. We used to get together regularly, the usual objectives, yearly objectives, quarterly, yada, yada. I said to him, this is where I want to be. I want to be at this level. If I'm still at this agency in five years time, uh, I want to be at director level. He said, okay, that's fine. This is what you need to do to, to get to the next step. Clearly outlined black and white, boom, boom, boom. Fast forward nearly 12 months, we get to our, our review and I was like, right. Okay. So I feel like I've, I've ticked all of these, these boxes, everything that you want me to achieve. I feel like I've achieved it. And here are the results that I feel support my claim to move me up. And the conversation was along the lines of, yeah, I'm, I'm totally in agreement with you, Azim. However, there's a, a hiring kind of pay freeze at the moment. And I was like, oh. so that's fine. I just took that and I thought, okay, cool. Um, it's a tough one to take, but out of my control at the time. So I just cracked on. And then fast forward, um, and then somebody else in another team who, no disrespect, but like, well, full disrespect, shit at their job, right? Absolutely shit. Like you would see them constantly in the kitchen, making cups of tea, taking half an hour to do it, going for lunch, super late. You'd leave the office and they're panicking, like, I've still got all this to do today. And in your head, you're thinking, well, you shouldn't have spent so long in the kitchen or doing this or whatever. 
gets a pay rise. I'm thinking, what? Like, how is this possible? Um, and she was a young white girl at the time. But I didn't look at race or colour then or anything else. I just literally think thought, well, what's going on there? Like, how does that work? And then when somebody came and said, this is the, 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 what's the word, the salary that, that they can offer you. I was like, whoa, my, in my head, I live in 4K brackets. You're coming to me and saying, what, 10, 14, 20 more? I was like, no, here in, in my world, I would need to stay here for four, five, six years more to get that. So it didn't, didn't seem real. Now, fast forward so many years where people are talking about, their salaries and, and their worth. And we can we can comment this later on. But yeah, they're I think you're absolutely right. People do feel like they are worth a certain salary. And a couple of guests that I had on my, on my podcast before, we were talking all about salary transparency and, and the TLDR version is one of them had announced they've got a new job on Twitter and, and said this was their salary. And they've got quite a large following. It was a mix of congratulations to only that much and like lots of comments about well you know that's not a lot what's going on there um and that's where a lot of debate started because people felt like this person shouldn't have um posted their salary online and was not worth the salary that they had put out and that's a common theme across the industry it's just the fact that this particular individual is incredibly transparent about it i do not have the confidence to come out there put it on Twitter, certainly for any man and his dog to say like, I earn X amount per year. But these types of conversation should, should absolutely be had. And in terms of people feeling like they're not worth enough, I think, yeah, it's, it's absolutely right. I know there are people who are at the same level and role as me who are earning far more than me. Um, but my answer to that is good. Like, and I'll come back to why I think good later on. But yeah, my answer to that is good. That's fine. What they eat doesn't make me shit, right? But I need to have something to, to go at and to go for. But there are people from marginalized communities or groups who feel the same way, but don't have that level of confidence or the ability to just externalize their feelings and say, look, I don't. I should be earning the same amount as, as Joe Bloggs. We do exactly the same work. Uh, we get the same results. Sometimes I might even get better results than Joe Bloggs, but to know that I'm earning 5, 10, 15% less, I'll never be able to progress to the next job up and get these levels of salaries. I've spoken to people who've looked at job descriptions in the past, purely aspirationally and just think, well, I'll, I'll, I'd never get this job. And that's the kind of mindset that we kind of need to try and get people out of. But I realise it's a long, long process. So back then, literally 4K brackets. Now it's like, well, if you're earning more than me and we're the same level, me personally, good, good. Just know I'm coming. But anybody else might not have that same level of... It is a little bit brash, to be honest. I'm not going to lie. It is brash. But things that have happened in, in my life and in the past has made me be as I am now. The, the interesting, I'm going to share my approach to salary negotiations. And I don't know if this will surprise anybody. Um, Jeff, I don't know like what your your approach has been historically throughout your career. The only job I didn't take the approach that I'm about to share 
at was search discovery. And that was because I was at like a, a desperate career crossroads. And not that I was desperate, right? But I was really unhappy where I was. And I saw search discovery as a really great opportunity where uh, it, you know, it would have felt like going back home. And, and it did when I got there. Um, but throughout my career, um, if you don't know like a lot about me, um, you know, I, I grew up pretty poor. Uh, and not only that, I had, uh, you know, no, nobody paid my way through college, I had to pay my own way through college, I had to work through college to, to just make ends meet, uh, did not was not very mature. Uh, you know, when it came to college, mature in other ways, not college, uh, and didn't take it seriously, racked up my student loans and eventually found myself not in college and without a profession, without a career, uh, just, uh, you know, mid twenties, nobody with no money, nothing, no prospects. <laughs> and, uh, you know, that's when I found, uh, found SEO and I've pulled my, you know, I feel like I, I feel like I've pulled myself up by my bootstraps to make something of myself and to have a profession. Right. And it was really, really unlikely. Um, Anyways, as I started to realize what my worth was, whether I had a degree or not, which I didn't get until much deeper into my career, I didn't actually have a degree. Thank God for SEO for not being an industry that requires, you know, formal college degrees. Yep. I, I realized that when, when another um, agency or opportunity is, is presented to you, it's not like they have like enough transparency to know what you really make. So whatever I was making, when the other agency or place came to me, I always just added on to my salary. If I was making 50K, I said, oh, I'm making 60K. So in order to get me to jump because I don't want to make a lateral move, I need 65K or you know, whatever the case may be. I always added a percentage, I always inflated it just a little bit. And I don't know if that was the right or wrong thing to do. It was probably the brash thing to do, but you don't know what you're going to get yeah. unless you ask for it. So I've been in some cases laughed out of the room. And in other cases, it's been like, no problem. There you yeah. go. And each job for me has been a stepping stone, um, has been a stepping stone. And the only re and, and that's if you're looking at things purely from a monetary standpoint, of course, there are other things that go into uh, an opportunity like with me, full transparency, like when uh, when I left startups and I went to search discovery, it wasn't for more money. It was because I was unhappy and I knew search discovery would make me happy. So like there are other things, but when it comes to salary, um, you never like you got to like, what do they say? Shoot your shot. Shooters got to shoot. So like, yeah, you, know, uh, you got to shoot your shot uh, yeah. sometimes. Don't be afraid. Yeah, it was interesting when I first got into, I started off as a developer slash designer and I made really, really, really bad money, but it was also the internet was kind of new at the time. And I had a friend who ran a car wash and we had a conversation one time about, uh, about salary and he just kind of laughed. He's like, you're supposed to be doing like the future. And he's like, I make three times more than you. And I just wash cars. And I was like, well, I'm working my way up to the future. <laughs> like, and like, um, he was funny cause he had a computer science degree and was washing cars. I didn't have a degree and started doing computer science stuff type of stuff. And, and it's, I loved it. And I didn't care about my salary at that time. Like I, when I first started, I lived with my parents. 
Like, I didn't care what I made. Like, I was just like, let's have fun as long as I have beer money and I can go out and party. That's a good time. Um, and then I, you know, did that for a while. And then I had my first kid. And then I was like, I need to buy a house. And then it was, yeah, like just shooting my shot. And um, some companies paid me pretty well. And I was uh, happy. Now, the sad part is there's some like jobs I would love to have that would like emotionally would have. But I've, you know, I'm at a point where it's like I can't. I, I, I tried to go to a small agency before to like do that fun small agency type stuff. And it was just it's just tougher there because there's no their money isn't there um, that that's there. But it's. Um, in general, like, again, I, I don't think I'm overpaid or, you know, like anything like that. I think I'm right where I'm supposed to be. And I think the industry is catching up, but I was lucky that early on, like went, like I just called some shots where I probably should have made more than I should have made <laughs> um, what I was doing. But then I, I lived up to it and I, I really rocked it out. And again, I think the industry and like now I feel like sometimes I'm at the, you know, I'm at a good spot. I don't, I'm not trying to push, I'm not trying to be CEO. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's like I got a salary that I'm I'm happy with, and as long as I can stay there for the time being, I'm 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 good. It, and let me just be clear: I'm not advocating lying, but oh yeah, I, <laughs> you know. <laughs> but at the same time, like uh, yeah. it's not like they're pulling your W twos and take your tax returns. Yeah, agreed. Maybe there's a way to do that. If so, nobody's ever called me called me on that. So it's really more about thinking about like what do you want to make. Yeah. as as yeah. a salary that's why you lie on glass door reviews say like oh they paid <laughs> they paid this uh junior associate one hundred fifty thousand. right <laughs> i'm learning so much here i, I didn't guess. even know that, that you could do that <laughs> anyways so azim um what made you start your podcast right this is where we're gonna get gonna get deep now no names mentioned right but before this started and obviously you guys are the exception because you can verify that i had never spoken to you in the past to try and come onto your podcast but when i was pitching to try and speak at events i was also trying to pitch for podcasts as well um completely randomly out of the blue where i'm at now i've been been here at my company at the university for for three years somebody reached out to me because they they saw me speak at brighton seo not long ago uh, I think somebody from their company came and they're like, oh, we'd love to have you in the podcast. And I was like, oh, never thought that podcast would be an avenue. Um, and I did it. Um, and, well, well, we'll talk about that shortly. But yeah, I, I did the podcast. And then I thought, okay, so as well as pitch and speak at events, like I'd love to 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 do more podcasts. I'd love to, to be on more podcasts. So I was pitching to people. Um, I wouldn't even call it pitch. I was just reaching out to people, sending them an email saying, look, I'm trying to get out there do a little bit more speaking would you would you consider having me on your podcast it was just a mixture of um like nothing to yeah i've got so many episodes planned but i'll get in touch with you further down the line uh, we can have you on i even had a couple of yeses uh, get you on in, in eight weeks time or whatever followed up oh, i've got eight weeks more content now so the, the tldr version again is no fucking body would give me a chance and i thought well fuck this i'm going to start my own and I'm going to talk to people and I'm going to find people like me who can't get an opportunity to speak um, as well as people who are well known in the industry as well. So oversharing now, but look, we're all friends, right? So when I started, I wrote down a list of people who I would love to have on the podcast, like your dream people. So I say candidates, I'm not hiring Jesus, but your dream people, right? And then I just put a pitch form out there and I was like, look, I particularly want to speak to women, people from underrepresented groups, 
people who have been told no in the past. If you have never spoken in the past and would love to, I want to talk to you. And I don't care if that episode gets one listen, two listens, four, five, whatever. If I have been able to give somebody a shot, put them out there and they can use that piece of content to say, look, I've done this talk on this podcast. And by the way, this podcast has had X, Y, and Z guests as well as me. That gives them like credibility by default. So the main thing was no fucker would give me a chance. And I was like, well, it's not because I'm not good because I think I'm okay. I'm not amazing. I'm the best marketer in the world, but I feel like I have some things that I want to share. Um, and then that was it. And we went into lockdown just over a year ago. And like the, the first couple of weeks, it was all new for everybody, right? And I was just sitting there and you guys surely agree. Jump on YouTube. You end up in a fucking wormhole. Um, and yeah. I ended up started watching yes. like Dude Perfect videos from like six years ago. And I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> like so How did I'm they not... get that ping pong ball? <laughs> <laughs> but I'm thinking like, look, I'm, I'm not. I'm not learning here. I'm not growing. Um, and I don't like sitting still. I don't like not doing anything. So I thought like, I don't right. read enough. So I'm going to read more. And then I thought, well, actually as a professional, what do I want to improve in? So I've done audio marketing before I've run Spotify ads, but I don't know the nuts and bolts. So if it was a car, I don't know how it works or like taking it apart. I don't know that part of it. So I thought, look, I'm just going to start the podcast. But before I started it, I spent a long time in that YouTube wormhole, but actually learning about what it takes to start a podcast, what equipment I'd need, the, the setup I would need. By the way, if you're watching the video, don't judge the setup, right? But yeah, the, the setup <laughs> that I would need um, and everything else. So yeah, I just thought, look, I'm, I will make this happen, but I'm going to take my time and learn. I'm not just going to jump in two feet first and hope yeah. for the best. I'm going to make this happen. Sometimes the uh, the first step is just taking the first step, just yeah. being being brave and and uh, being willing to to take the risk, right? And it is a risk, right? And you're going to learn along the way, and you're going to get better. Um, I remember, you know, my first episode and first couple of episodes. And full disclosure, I don't know like how you guys are, but I don't like go back very often and listen to old episodes, mostly because I think my voice sounds weird <laughs> on playback. Uh, it sounds normal when it's coming out. And then when I listen to it, I'm like, oh, that's what I really sound like. That's horrible. Yeah. Another thing I should add is I absolutely fucking hate my own voice. So I will not be listening back to this. There you that's, go. that's for sure. <laughs> but I enjoy putting, uh, putting content out there gives me, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a person that like, I always have to have like a creative itch behind the scenes that I'm, that I'm, you know, scratching, whether it's tinkering with the website or just something to keep my mind busy. So, the, you know, for the last couple of years, it's been podcasting. Um, but there's more room. There's way more room for more podcasts in the industry for more diverse voices. Totally. Uh, and I know that there's a lot of people out there. Uh, you know, I did a, a SEO chat, uh, Twitter chat with Morty Oberstein and we focused on podcasting and it seems like there are a lot of people that are just like toying with the idea but are afraid uh, or are intimidated uh, you know don't know the equipment feeling like they they don't have anything to say uh, and I feel like it's just a situation where 
if you give give somebody enough time, they'll figure they'll figure that stuff out. But it's really difficult to make the commitment because it is a commitment. Right. Uh, I'm not going to lie; it's not something you just pick up if you're only going to do one episode every two months or whatever, right? Um, it is a commitment. You have to be consistent, but you just got to take the leap of faith. It's a little bit of a leap of faith. Yep. Uh, yeah. And it's not going to go well first. You know, it's no, nobody listened. You're going to learn, right? Nobody yeah. listened. It has been uh, boots on the ground now for us for, you know, two and a half, three, three years. And it's still kind of a grind to get exposure and get listens. Now, like, luckily, we've got like a solid base by now. So it's not like we release an episode and we just, you know, watch and there's like, oh, one listen. Great. Uh, but <laughs> yeah. I'm not going to lie. It's not like we're, you know, we're getting thousands of listens per episode. We're not. We're not getting overcharged for bandwidth. <laughs> no, no, we're not. We are not at risk. <laughs> we are not at risk of, of uh, going over that threshold. So before we get into diversity and inclusion, um, I just want to, I, I have to ask you, you know, you're, you've done a podcast, you've been agency side, you've done freelance, you've been in-house. What is the most like, I'm trying to think of a great way to ask this, the most like, gosh, this is what it's really like to be an SEO behind the scenes story. Like what experience have you had that just most personifies life as an SEO? <laughs> God, uh, that's a really good question to be fair. Um, for me, I would I would probably say, um, and I'm going to go with the, the gosh in the positive sense first. So I'd probably say being in-house, um, SEO, where I was at before, was like an afterthought. Or it was a nice value add or like, you know, it was a nice thing to have. And that was the view of it. But where I was working in like a multi-channel environment and every year I was saying like, look, this is what paid search is going to cost, by the way since last year more competitors have come into our space so we need to pay more okay how can we pay less well okay there's a channel called seo right we don't have to do anything right other than just create really good content for what people are actually looking for and put it out there for them to see they're like what's that simple well i've really simplified it there but look let's have a look at switching some of this investment into creating really good content well what do you mean so an example would be like okay we're a university we've just released like a, a brand new course for example right these are the types of keywords that people are looking for these are informational these are transactional and when you're having these types of conversation people are like well okay so how do we get to number one and that's the, like the mindset of you know like how quickly can we get there and immediately it's like ppc ppc but it's not a long-term way of thinking so I would go back and say, right, let's look at this type of content right now. Prospective students are thinking about this. So let's create this piece of content and let's put it out there. This is what, these are the search terms or these are the keywords that people are looking for. Let's monitor that. And let's see how it progresses over time. And I need to show you that this is a long-term investment, right? They're like, okay, let's do it. And I demonstrated to them with a specific course that we pulled it like out of the ashes, basically from, you know, anything below page one, right? Nobody's going to look over time and increase that organic visibility. But the reason what really solidified that old gosh moment was I, this whole project, I involved devs, the web team, 
specific UX person to look at the user journey, where this piece of content will fit historic content. It was all literally different pieces of a puzzle. I'd put it all together and I'd put it in front of effectively the C-suite and said, there you go. And there's actual proof when that graph traditionally, you know, up and to the right, everybody wants, boom, there's your proof. And that for me was like, there you go. There, There is proof. It's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing when it works. I love showing up and to the right graphs. <laughs> That's my favorite thing to show. Uh, and my favorite, uh, well, my my least favorite thing uh, that most personifies the the SEO experience would be things uh, things like disallows or, or de-indexing, uh, de-indexing your site, which I had a client do a few weeks ago. And, uh, you know, all of a sudden taking a national brand down to almost no traffic uh, from an organic perspective. So <laughs> that happened to me a few weeks ago. It was not pretty. Uh, it was a case study, but in the opposite direction. So Jeff, let's let's talk some diversity and yes. inclusion. That is our core topic today. Let's let's dive right in. It's a great topic. Um, it, so in February, as you wrote um, an article entitled Diversity and Inclusion in Marketing in 2021 and Why Nothing Has Changed. Um, for everyone who hasn't read the article, can you give us a synopsis of that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so that was, I think, my my third blog post on the subject of DNI. Uh, essentially, the the short version is this was written in the same week that uh, a prominent Twitter account in the UK had released a list of, you know, top 10 people to follow. It was entirely white. Um, for reference, in the article, never named who it was, what account or who the people were. It was totally anonymous because I think it takes away from the point. But essentially, lots of these people on, the, on that list um, started quote tweeting like, oh, my God, I can't believe I've been named on this list. Really happy, as, as you would be, right? Um, a day later, I saw an international uh, marketing conference. Like, we're in a lockdown, right? Nobody can go anywhere. We're all behind a computer screen, but it's entirely white. And then I just thought, look, this is not on. And somebody had, a person of colour, rightly gone back at this account and said, you know, where are the black people? Where are the people of colour? What's going on? Um, the account apologised, but and the people on that list had apologised, but only as a reply to the original tweet and with my marketing hat on i know if you quote a tweet you're sharing the original tweeters tweet with your entire audience when you reply not everybody gets to see that so i look at that and think so you're happy to amplify your success when you make a mistake and you apologize for it you only replied and i thought well yeah. that, that's not on and, and in, in some people's defense, one of those people on that list had read the blog post and had DM'd me and said, look, I totally didn't see it like that. Thank you for bringing this to my attention. Thank you for writing it the way that you did because it didn't, I didn't take it personally. Um, and I will, will do better and I, I will pay it forward. And um, the last part I put on there was that I, I never shared this until I wrote the blog post, but this was not long after George Floyd was murdered. Um, and I was, I'd got a chance to speak at an event, virtual event, one I'd never spoken at before, but obviously what had happened didn't sit right with me. I was like, look, it's another black man in America who's been murdered. And before uh, the police officer was charged, regardless of whatever the outcome was, I will never change my opinion on that, that he was murdered regardless. That to the side, that didn't sit right with me. So I thought, look, 
I would love for not only a female, but a black female to speak at this event. So a really good friend of mine, you've had her on before, Women in Tech SEO Speakers List, and jumped onto that, found a specialism, found a black speaker, and, and I reached out to her via DM and said, look, full disclosure, I'm really sorry to just randomly jump into your DMs, but this is me, here's the opportunity, would you like to take it? And they took it. My question to the readers was, should one person of colour have to give up an opportunity at an event they've not spoken at before for another person of colour? That's not right. And why has, why has nothing changed? And I ended it with, um, at Brighton SEO a few years back, I, I ran a survey of the industry anonymously where people could share their thoughts. Uh, and I'm running that again this year to look at if anything has actually changed one year on. Now there's so much of a spotlight um, on people of colour, people from marginalised backgrounds, not progressing in the industry. I want to be able to see if anything has changed. If it hasn't, why hasn't it? So that's that. No, it's, it's, it's great. Um, I think, as we mentioned, I mentioned earlier on, uh, you know, working for the New York Times, which really does focus a ton on this. And, uh, you know, we, we have tons of meetings all, all just about, you know, DEI and, and there's like specialty groups, Slack groups, and we, we try to do a lot there. And, and, you know, with this podcast, Jake and I really like push to, to I, I don't personally get it, but at the same time, I understand it, right? Because it's not that I don't get it. It's like, I don't feel like I was ever raised in like where I, I felt like superior or anything. And if anything, I felt inferior to everybody. <laughs> so <laughs> wasn't anybody in general. Um, but then as the more I grow, like I, I moved my family down to Georgia and we've, um, my area is actually, my kids' elementary school is like 60% Indian. And it was very, it's, it's very interesting in this area here because I think of Georgia as being like a very old school, you know, racist, deep south, pretty yeah. deep South. And it is, but the Atlanta area is like the, is like the beacon of like hope. And, and that's the reason why, um, you know, not sure how far familiar you are with politics in America, but um, we, we, you know, we've switched to more of a, uh, a liberal state and um it, the backlash has been crazy so it's it is very interesting on how everything's going there but i'm living in a, in a world of it now where I, I try to help out as much as i can and i do feel so bad like i'm not bad but like i feel like this has got to stop we need like definitely things need to change and i'm hoping this is the change we need and and you know the whole george floyd aspect of things like just it, how many times can this happen? I grew up listening to NWA and grew up listening to public enemy and like, and rage against mm -hmm. the machine. And I've definitely like, and I think that's some of the reasons like going into this, I'm like, wait, you never knew that there was like all this brutality going on and, and all this chaos. And it's like, I, I, I feel like I grew up in like iced tea, you know, the old rapper, you know, would tell me like, told me all these stories and they weren't like, again, I think things were, you know, embellished a little in rap music you know but at the same time you know public enemy like was, was straight with what they were talking about and and nwa and um and, and there was a lot of those type of groups that really influenced me in the time but so i, I kind of got my think my you know my thoughts from there but like how can we work to help solve this problem together as like in, in a whole in an industry we'll fake focus it on our industry but what are some things we can do to make things um better for everybody how long have you got, guys? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, for me, solving things together, um, there's a really great quote that I read. It's definitely not mine, um, but basically the difference between diversity and inclusion is being invited to the party and having a great time 
at yeah. the party. Um, stuff I've mentioned in the past is like literally I could go on for hours about this, but I won't. Like over here in the UK, right? There's once a year people trend on Twitter. Today is the day that that women will effectively work for the rest of the year for free because they are paid this much less than men. Ooh. That that's a fact. We're not going to change that, but trends once a year, right? Nobody really talks about a racial pay gap. So my first question to anybody who's discussing that is: Imagine if you're a black man or a black woman seeing stuff like that, because people of color we know are paid less than their white counterparts. So one of the things is release that sort of racial pay gap data. I think companies should should go public and say we at Azim Digital commit to achieving X percentage of diversity in our workforce by year Y and currently this is where we are and that first year will absolutely hurt. Snap did it last year and I can't remember the exact time but they sort of released it like very very subtly and just put it out there because they knew it would hurt and people found it and started talking about it. I think we should bring wage equity plans to life like i've mentioned here you know if you're a black woman people don't really talk about that it's just men and women binary men and women nobody again i'm pretty sure will discuss people who identify as uh, non-binary or who are unsure about which gender they are people don't really talk about that and then <clears throat> i'm going to steal a quote from from rand fiskin who came on my podcast and i think he saw this from somebody else so triple stealing but essentially he said talent is equally distributed opportunity is not so hire people from different backgrounds but not just at the entry level this really like let's call it what it is it really pisses me off because yeah. people will hire into the company but at the lowest level right and one of the things that i've said before in the past is uh i think an all-male leadership team will make the correct decision 58% of the time when you activate diversity and I mean don't just mean like different skin color but I mean age gender geography ethnicity when you activate all of that get it into the boardroom uh that'll make the correct decision 87% of the time so in English yeah. it literally makes you more fucking money to have a diverse boardroom and the last thing that I'll say because I'll go on forever about this is don't just hire one person as you as your DEI guy. Um, have a second person or a third or a fourth, even better. Have a group of people from marginalised backgrounds as a committee and to make sure that this work is happening and to hold people to account. I know I said this was the last thing, but this is definitely the last one. The C-suite, yeah. their bonuses should directly be linked to all of these initiatives C-suite should come out and say, we will not pay ourselves a bonus this year until we achieve this, 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 and this. Yeah. The, the plus, the benefit of being so bad at the start is that in theory, you can only get better, right? So yep. hire more people of color, link your bonuses to them. And let's progress together. Half of the first, not half, that's a lot, but a lot of the frustration for me is that I want progress to be faster than it actually is and this these types of injustices these problems have been going on for a number of years now and for me who's quite keen and really wants to get my teeth into this mm -hmm. like just 
I want things to progress faster. So some of that battle is with me, but yeah. I need to see more progress. I, I'm not getting any younger and I want like the next batch of people coming in to think, right, I can actually do something. I don't want another Azeem to come in and, and live and 4K brackets right. and think I'm never going to achieve this. I want the next crop of Azeems or people with different names to come in and think like I can be whatever I want to be if I put my head down and just work. It doesn't matter right. what colour or what gender I am. If I just get my head down and work hard, I can achieve X, Y, and Z. So, yeah. Yeah, no, I, I I think also being able to expand your pools of people you can choose from, right? So it again, I think everybody, and this is probably my my you know naiveness, but it's like everybody wants the best person for the job. Um, but if you're only limiting your pool to certain people, um, then it you know you're never going to get the diverse aspect of things. So being able to open up your pools of of just where you're getting your employees, uh, I think remote has really helped with some of this where if you were in the middle of you know kentucky you might not actually have a diverse area to pull from but the more and more you go into uh you know into like inner cities and, and things like that you you have that more the diversity um side there but i think uh you know remotes really help that because now we can work from anywhere and everyone's working from everywhere to be able to pull from that bigger pool um but it, it's it's tough i mean at, at here at Wirecutter, i mean we're I feel that we're, it's like the most diverse company I've been to, but yet there's still like a, like an underlying, um, you know, push to be even better. Right. And, and that's a great thing. I kind of, at first was, it's, it, it, I kind of laughed. I was like, this is the most diverse place I've ever been. And yet we can be better. <laughs> um, can, then I keep on going back to my old jobs that I've been through and it's, you know, where I've seen, you know, it's, it's all old white guys running the company, you know, as your C-suite, maybe you'll get like a vice president who is like a female, but then you go from there and it's like, but it, it's still, you know, I think uh, Bill Burr has a, a, a funny joke on it, but he's just like how women are like rising up and he's like, listen, you're in the hot tub with me. <laughs> it's like, it might be my hot tub, but you're in it with me. And it was like a dumb joke. But at the same time, I feel that like, you know, we, we need to have a bad analogy, but a bigger hot tub with more people in it to be able to pull from. Jeff, uh, I don't know yes. if you guys noticed me disappear. I feel like that was the that was the plot twist. Uh, Jeff was trying to axe me from the show. Um, he <laughs> yeah. he somehow hacked my computer, and for the first time in the history of the podcast, we crashed. I crashed literally yeah. live live during recording, and uh, everything still went smooth. And everything went smoothly. We're I almost didn't this. click because when you came back in, it said allow Jacob back into the podcast, and I almost. <laughs> Yes. Um, yeah. Welcome back to the uh, Azim. Yeah. Jeff welcome podcast. back. To, <laughs> yes. Welcome back to the Jeff Luella show. Uh, you know, so I'm not sure, kind of, you know, what I what I might have missed, but uh, gosh, we could talk for forever about this with with no end. Yep. And if I'm like really trying to think about the the bigger picture, I will say um, you had mentioned earlier that you started with a list of people. And while I, while I know that Jeff and I were at the top of uh, the top of that list, what I will say is we did the same, the same thing. Uh, you start with a list of people cause you got to start somewhere. And then, you know, we just, you pun intended bumped into people organically. Uh, and I will say, of course, you know, I, if you're in SEO Twitter, you kind of see people pop up from time to time. And I saw you pop up 
uh, from time to time. And I, if I'm remembering my timeline right, the impetus to reach out to you was when you wrote that article. Uh, it was quite a, a, a moving article um, because it, it's so different from my experience. And I, I don't know what it's like. I don't know what it's like to be anything other than white and at this point, middle-aged. <laughs> middle um, so the, the experiences that, that you're going through, that women go through, um, you know, that the, that the African-American community go through, uh, anybody of color, uh, especially as it relates to police, which right now is huge uh, in our country because of the George Floyd verdict. And, and I live in Columbus, Ohio. We had another uh, a shooting uh, in, in there are shootings all the time in Columbus, but this this one uh, was picked up by the you know, by the by the media. Um, and it does keep happening. And I don't know why. Yeah. Uh, and I don't know what to do to 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 solve it. And this is getting bigger than just just SEO. And, and I often think like I grew up in you know, Midwestern U- United States. Uh, I can imagine 50 years ago, the racism might have been more noticeable, but I wouldn't say that the racism was noticeable, but I also wouldn't say that it was not there. Um, in, you know, you grow up and quite honestly, there was not a lot of diversity in the community that I, that I grew up in. It was 95, 96%, uh, you know, white. Um, so when you grow up like that, it's, it's all you know, you don't know. And it wasn't until I got to college, um, you know, that I was exposed to, to different, you know, different types of people, different, you know, people of color, uh, you, you know, just things that are foreign to you, to you growing up. So I do think that there might be a segment of people out there that aren't like racist or obliquely evil, but this is all just foreign to their experience. And I know that like, when I think of the bigger picture, it does seem like there needs to be some sort of a systematic change. But then I think of myself as an individual and I'm like, what can I, what can I as one individual do? And it's, it's ironic that in a country where it's predicated on every vote counting that you can feel like you don't matter or you can't do anything. Um, And and I try to think, what can I do? Um, and I, I would ask every person um, to ask themselves the same the same sorts of questions, especially if you're like me and Jeff, middle-aged and, and white. You, you've not experienced the, the hardships that other people have experienced. And I think number one is show empathy. Empathy is a really easy thing to do, but it's, in my opinion, one of the most difficult human skills to master. Um, Number two, where you can give people a platform. Uh, and if you're thinking about it systematically, um, I think about gener- generations. I think that this still, uh, you know, if I said, maybe I'm wrong, but if I said, all right, the state of, uh, you know, racism, lack of diversity, uh, lack of inclusion in 2021, is it better than it was in 1960? let's say i don't what what would you guys say that's just that's a question generally speaking maybe better maybe i i I, azim i don't know i mean you might be the best to answer that one possibly um possibly i wasn't around in in 1960 but just this week um i watched a, a keynote talk from somebody who 
um, basically holds the police to account over here. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was around in the 60s and the 70s over here. I'm not sure what it was like over in the States, but he was around here. Um, and some of the things he was saying, people like openly say to him on the street, like horrifically like racist terms. Um, and then there was a book um, that he held up saying, like, I've still got this book. Um, and it was of a, a character who was um, a black-faced. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was like, this is the type of stuff that we were growing up around in the 60s and 70s. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, then he said, this book that I'm holding up, I actually uh, bought it quite recently. So it's still around, but it's just not as overt anymore. So now he's able to, to walk down the street and, and not be racially abused, but then this type of literature still exists. Um, and in the sector that I work in, not enough has been done to educate people, as in literally educate them about the injustices faced by black people. A while back, I think it was last year, I listened to a podcast and the, the name of the book escapes me, but it was an American photographer who was yeah. um, taking pictures and documenting the story of New York 10, 20 years ago. And it was all about the reclassification of, of youth. And I was like, well, what, okay, why, why would youth be reclassified? And basically what he was saying was over there, the police were trying to reclassify what it meant to be a youth and adult and bring the age down so they could Mm -hmm. disproportionately punish black people with longer sentences. And I was listening to this while I was running thinking, this is like fucked up. Like there were two young kids mm-hmm. and I can't remember exactly what the police had them for, but it was literally something super minor. And they got taken away, beaten up, put in prison. And part of this podcast was where they'd gone and spoken to these two individuals. Their entire lives basically has been in prison and shaped by that. And who knows what they could have gone on to achieve. So the short answer for me is potentially it's probably less overt now but it's it's still happening of course for sure for sure yeah so the reason the reason i pose that question is because i think in the context of being a parent um and you know raising my kids right and i think of the way i was raised and then i think of the way my parents were raised in their parents before them and you hear the different stories like well that's the way i was raised right i was raised that way or it was a different time. Um, I think I think we've all probably heard those types of things from our from our parents. So, like when I think of myself as an individual, what can I do besides uh, you know be empathetic, give people a platform, educate myself, keep keep my eyes open? Um, for me, it's this is a generational issue, and I don't know. One, we're we're humans, right? So, in all of human history humans are imperfect and infallible. So I don't know that racism or bias or, or this type of stuff ever gets completely resolved ever because humans are humans. Um, but systematically, uh, when I think about my kids, it's up to me as a parent to raise them in a way that they do not have these sorts of biases and they they do not think 
this way? These are the kinds of questions my, you know, my kid, my kids ask, you know, ask me all the time. They ask me what happened with George Floyd. And let me tell you, it's not easy to unpack for a seven-year-old that and be completely yep. transparent and honest. And not only that, uh, you know, they, they ask me all the time, like, why is her, why is this person's skin brown? And we have to get into the discussion uh, or like, why did somebody say this? Or why did somebody say that? And it's the, very often the discussion we have is quite honestly, and, and it comes down to like your morals and your values and how you want to raise your kids. And I feel like how you raise your kids will translate into an entire generation normalizing the idea of not being biased against other people based on uh, ethnicity, gender, race, color, all of these things. Yep. Um, but I feel like it's a couple of generations down down the road. And it's, it's as simple as saying, you should not think any less of somebody because they're black, because they have a different skin color than you, because their hair is a different color. Be, my brother's gay. Uh, because they like boys, uh, you know, na you name it. Um, and it's, I think it comes down to normalizing the idea that it's not okay to treat other people that way. Uh, and I think that this takes still, even with the, even with the amount of focus. And I think maybe, uh, maybe the reason that people could as obliquely walk down the street and be less overt in the past is quite honestly like look look at what we all have now we all have a camera in the in that and that has come a long way in the last 10 to 15 years we can all at any time record things so it, you maybe if this exists it may go underground because of that you know I, I don't know i'm just speculating here but i believe that this is the way to fix this systematically aside from legislation and passing laws and things like that, that that need to go into place to reform things and companies taking ownership is teaching the right values to 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 your kids, uh, to people growing up right now and normalizing the idea that it's not okay to lead act this way. Lead by example, right? Set a good example. And hopefully you may not you may not capture all of them, but the hope is that as generations and time passes, the the idea that people could treat each other this way becomes less and less and less and less acceptable until it's completely marginalized. This may take a hundred years, right? This is a problem that spans the entirety of human existence, but really in the United States uh, and in other countries, hundreds of years, hundreds of years. So it doesn't get solved in one year or two years, but it takes everybody, in my opinion, standing up and taking individual accountability for the types of ideas that, that they're okay with and that they put in other people, specifically young people's heads. I don't know. I don't know how you guys, that's my soapbox. Uh, I don't know how you all feel about that. <laughs> and I would ask for maybe, because uh, I know we're, you know, we're running close to time. I want to get to Twitter questions. I would just ask for parting parting thoughts. We could probably talk about this for many, many hours, but we don't have many, many hours. So I would ask for parting thoughts. The, the only thing that I would would add to that as a, not a comeback because that's offensive, but like as an alternative thought is that to, to get any sort of justice or to even consider getting justice in America as a black individual, you're 
pain has got to be, like you just said, put on one of these. If nobody, if that young person had not recorded George Floyd there on the floor, would that man now be in prison? I would probably say no. And equally, to get any form of justice in America as a black person, you've probably got to have that on camera and somebody has to be there on camera. As white individuals, my my last thoughts on this would be, um, it's hard, right? Because like you said, and like everything you've just said, completely agree with. So I will never know what it's like to be a white man raising a family and trying to educate a family in this. But what I would say is, my advice to white people is equally, you will never know what it's like to be a person of colour. Just let me step aside for a minute for context, right? I'm not black, nor am I a female. However, I've got black members of my family. Um, and also I've got sisters. My mom is a female. and my, I've got a young niece who's just literally grown up and about to go into the professional world. I want to make sure that this is better for them. Right. So that's a side step. Come back. Right. My last thoughts are on that is for white people you've got to get comfortable with pain and by pain what i mean is nowhere near the levels of pain that poc endure on a regular basis so being an ally is not just about being kind or like asking uh your black or your people of color colleagues like how they're feeling or just giving a couple of books to a, a black owned business it's a start right but you've got to endure the pain of losing things and that involves like losing your privilege as a white person. And you hear that a lot, but, and the luxury life that's associated with it. Things like if you get offered a pay rise at your workplace, but you've got a black colleague who's doing really well, refuse that pay rise and say, you need to pay Joe Bloggs this money because I know he's being paid less than me. Things like that. Lose your relationships with your white colleagues who acknowledge that maybe some of their behaviors practically reinforce systemic oppression and then the very last thing is like out there if you guys happen to be out and you see something happen you've got to lose your own safety and your own physical well-being don't pull out your phone jump in and help that person don't, don't let there be another george floyd or anybody else who's been wronged and and brutally murdered let's call it what it is by the police if you're out there and you see that don't pull out your phone go in and help that person and that involves you taking on some some physical pain because george floyd had a family who he now can't go back to every black person who's been killed will not be able to go back to their their family and you're not particularly youtube as a white individual your responsibility there is you've got to get comfortable with with that pain. And people band out the word privilege a lot. But for me, that's what it boils down to. Things like refusing to pay a rise, continue to pay black owned businesses. Great, that's a start. But don't think that giving five bucks every other Saturday to a black owned business is going to reduce systemic oppression or not reduce, eradicate systemic oppression. It's a start, but you've got to get comfortable with that pain. That, that's my two cents on that. Excellent. Sense. Yeah, it does. Uh, you know, sometimes it's uh, it might be hard for people to hear and take in. Uh, but I think people need to hear it. I think it's time. It's past time. Past time. Uh, all right. Let's uh, 
let's dive into Twitter questions. This will be the last uh, Twitter questions of the week for the season. So we're going to make it extra special uh, this time. We've got four awesome questions and we are going to give away an entire box full of swag, right? So uh, hoodies, t-shirt, mask, stickers, coasters, whatever the hell we got, we're going to send it uh, this person's way. Uh, and yeah, it's our, just our thanks for listening to our podcast, putting up with us, uh, you know, especially when we run an SEO podcast that doesn't talk about traditional SEO topics all the time, but topics that we feel like are really, really important. and should be talked about, uh, you know, we thank everybody for their support. Uh, so let's dive, let's dive in. Uh, so our first question I'm, and Azim, I'm going to let you know. Uh, your role is to pick the winner. Uh, we've we've not clarified that with people, and then we've sprung that on people at the end, and they were like, "Oh, that makes me super uncomfortable." So as you're as you're answering these questions, we want you to think about who deserves all the uh, all the swag. Oh, not a tent, yeah. the shit we all get. Uh, <laughs> all right. So first question, uh, and this is actually the person uh, who. Uh, D- DM'd us on the side to say, actually, swag is a tent in Australia. So first, thank you, Naomi. Uh, first question is from Naomi Fuller, at Naomi underscore L underscore Fuller on Twitter. Uh, as, an Aust- as an Australian SEO, uh, before I ask my burning SEO slash podcast question, I would like to know if this will be a single or double swag or will it be king single swag? So that was the part referring to the tent, which I clearly did not get. Uh, and but that was also the impetus for us giving away an entire box full of swag. Uh, in terms of her actual question, she asks, I first heard about Azim Digital because of the John Mueller interview on the podcast. How much did that or perhaps another interview increase podcast subscriptions? And I'll add subscriptions and listens because you can't subscribe on you know every every podcast listening service. Yeah. Oh, that is a great question. Um I have a personal rule so i it's very unlikely unless you give me enough alcohol that i will say oh this episode had 560 lessons or whatever but because she asked i will tell you that that particular episode it grew 103 percent on spotify and 30 percent on google and within the first few days it was heard in over 50 countries so that's a short answer the long answer is that that came out in january and as as you both know the longer content's out there the more it gets listened to whenever i look at my listens previous episodes um will always still be in there so that is regularly listened to people really like john Mueller, and and of course why why shouldn't they lovely guy but it continues to listen so in answer to the question 103% 103% on Spotify. For all anybody else knows, that could just be, you know, from a short number to a short number, but <laughs> 103% sounds sexy and, and a handful of people listen to it on Google. So, yeah. Um, and In fact, the last thing that I'll say, like oversharing, but look, we're all friends. I don't expect people to listen to every episode of my podcast. I know, I'm sure you guys too, that on average, people will listen to three to five episodes before they decide if they want to stick around. So mm-hmm. my job, and I'm sure your guys' job as well, is to make sure that if you're going to release five episodes, you, you've got to make sure three are good. You fucked with this one because this it's me. So you got to make sure <laughs> you, your, ne- your next four are, are bang on, basically. So, yeah, that's... Next year. 
that's it. <laughs> so our next question comes from Mike Ginley. And Mike, I just want to thank you. You've been one of our regular question askers. So thank you so much. It's at Mike Ginley SEO on Twitter. Any tips or things to avoid when starting growing, uh, starting and growing a podcast? This is a great question. Thank you, Mike. Um, and I'm going to try and avoid the, the cliche answers that you might see um, on Google. But for me, um, things to avoid, give yourself and your podcast enough time to get onto Apple Podcasts and, and Google Podcasts. Because if I remember correctly, this took up to a few days and I was like, look, I'm ready to go. I'm ready to tell everyone I've got a podcast to get on there. Cause I know all of my friends listen on Apple podcasts or, um, I am one of the rarities who will use Google podcasts. For example, I need to get it on there. I don't want to say hi, everyone. I've got a podcast, by the way, you can't get it on the platform that you listen to yet because that buzz will just die. That's one. Second one, uh, inconsistency. Um, don't, release one episode on a Wednesday, wait six weeks and then release it again on a Tuesday. If you're going to be out there weekly before you start, I would say I'll sidestep in a minute, but before you start, I will say have four to five episodes in the bank. If you're going to release weekly, fine. You've got a month's worth. If you're going to release monthly, you've got literally four months worth of content, have those in the bank ready to go. So if anything happens, you've got a bank of content. The reason why I've got to step to the side is because I am not practicing what I preach. I've, I've only got one more episode left before I need to start recording more, um, which I will clarify in the answer to the, one of the other Twitter questions why I've only got one more left. But that's the other thing. Equipment, I think I saw a tweet where you covered an SEO chat where you're talking about yeah. equipment. But yeah, you need to make sure you've got the right equipment because having the right gear will save you so much time when you're editing. And I'm at the point now, I'm sure you guys are way ahead of me on this, where you can literally recognize something wrong as a sound wave. So every... Sorry, you'll have to edit that. But every one of those, <laughs> you can recognize as a sound wave. Yeah. So don't don't scrimp or save on that. Invest early, and what you spend, you will make back in time. And you can't buy time. Uh, the last thing is, I think we touched on this earlier. Starting sooner, like I wish I'd have started sooner. Um, if you're thinking about starting a podcast, do it. I love going on and seeing people starting your podcast, thinking great more content for me to enjoy. Like, get it out there. If you're thinking about it, just jump in and reach out to me or yourselves. I'm putting you out there now on the spot. Reach out to me or anyone in the industry. We, we can help you do it. More content is brilliant rather than, oh, no, like, don't do this because I'm in this space. Like, fuck that. There's enough for everyone to, to, to get at. So, yeah, great question. And hopefully those help you out. Yeah, I would say also uh, as a sidebar, if you're thinking about starting a podcast, but you're like, you need to talk to somebody before you want to jump in, like hit us up, DM us, uh, slide into our DMs. Uh, I'm happy to jump on a Zoom uh, and just say, hey, here's things to think about. Here's A, B, C, D, E that you need to consider uh, and to offer encouragement uh, as well. Um, all right. <clears throat> Question number three comes from former guest Claire Carlisle at Claire Carlisle on Twitter. I'd like to ask Azim, how is he so amazing? Hashtag be more Azim heart. So we all want to be more like Azim. Azim, how are you so amazing? 
<laughs> oh, Claire is an absolutely lovely individual, really good friend of mine, lots of time for her. If you do not follow her on Twitter already, shame on you because she is just brilliant and an absolute ray of light in the industry and definitely one of yep. the people who, who helps me shine for sure. Um, yep. So the answer to her question ironically is if people want to be more like me they need to be more like claire first so that's the answer to my question. <laughs> that's a great answer <laughs> excellent answer all right our last question uh it's a good good podcasting question too comes from andrew cox starkey you know him on twitter as at optimize uh how much time does a good podcast take per episode from planning research prep doing the actual podcast editing etc I don't know, Jake. Yeah, you do Jeff, all that work. This is, this is yeah. I just come in and talk. Don't, don't twist the knife, Jeff. Don't twist the knife. <laughs> so I think I've gone through this entire podcast without saying the two key killer words, which rhyme with Schmidt Schmidt but I'm not going to say it. The answer for me, I would say, is incredible discipline. So the reason why I don't have much content is because my guest on my next podcast i've been researching this person since august last year and by research what i mean is consuming as much content as i can about this person so i'm watching their talks i'm reading their blog posts uh anything that they are touching digitally i want to be all over because when we have a conversation i want to make sure that i have enough background enough preparation to not wing it and if they're talking about things that i don't know about i can quickly just go back and say oh i saw that you did a talk here and you touched on this so there's not a specific answer planning and research can take months if it's a brand new person who hasn't spoken in the past what i do with them is i'll hop on to a zoom or a meet and just chat to them and say look you know tell me a bit about you we're not recording let's get to know each other that is something that i just do off the bat like never gets recorded sometimes i have really valuable conversations not recording um for guests it's usually a few months in advance so i know who i'm going to speak to and put out in in may and in august so that, like i said i'll write a list of people put it out there um and then get a pitch form and speak to them editing <sighs> It's a fucking pain in the ass. So for me, I can't do it when I'm at work. My podcast is, is my own thing. I'm going to do it when I'm at home. So record in the evenings. Um, <clears throat> side note, shit with time zones. And I learned the hard way when I spoke to Rand Fishkin. I don't know where this guy lives in America. Yeah, it's, it's late for me. West Coast. <laughs> it's late. It is later. He was talking to me. Um, it was like, must have been like 11 p.m. over here for me. And my day begins at like 3 a.m. So by 11 p.m. I was like, I was tired. Let's wrap this up, Rand. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, um, editing, when I first started, could take eight to 12 hours. So like three, four nights a week. Um, and then I thought, shit, I've got to get better at this. So I've got better software basically. Now, I think I can nail it in up to, up to four hours. Like I said, I'm sad enough to yeah. know specific sound waves and just chop them out so what i do oversharing again is just chop through stuff go back listen to it 
make sure it sounds good. And then one thing that I didn't answer, apologies to Mike and his, his question before, is um, I had a great guest in the beginning. I'm not going to say which one because people are going to go out and look for it now, but the audio was shit. And I mean, oh, yeah. shit. Yeah. But the content and the conversation was fantastic. And I had spent three weeks editing this podcast and I didn't want to go back to the guest and say, please, can we re-record? Because you lose the quality of the conversation. Mm-hmm. And what this person said to me was, look, if you feel the content is good enough, just put it out there and let's see what happens. If people come back and say, we didn't like it or we hate it, whatever. Luckily, nobody mentioned it. I think they must have had like a bracelet or something on. So every time they were talking, especially if you're somebody like me who's doing this, all yeah. you could hear was that jingling. And I thought, shit, I can't get this out. So a good, clean run. I can record in half an hour, edit it in up to four hours. So in less than five hours, I could have an episode recorded edited live research could take a couple of months but i do that in advance bank that yeah that's it i would say for every hour that we record um add minimum four hours of time spent doing all of the other stuff the the, the scheduling the outreach the research the editing the pr- the promotion yeah i mean you got to promote <laughs> your podcast yeah. is as well and you know that's that's my time jeff's time as well uh to do to you know to do the the extended promotion and the recutting of episodes and um it's a lot it's a, it's a big commitment this is going to be a bumper four-hour episode for no, it. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. Awesome. Uh, and and I will say we had uh, similar audio quality issues. Uh, you know, with Jeff and I, uh, the first episode of this season. Uh, I you know I don't know if it was Jeff's equipment or it might have been my equipment because I had made the the change to sitting my microphone on my table uh, instead of suspending it from a boom arm. Uh, and the audio quality was so bad that it was like, it, there wasn't any editing. It, it was completely corrupted and we had to re-record the episode. So like, eh, sometimes that's just part of the game. Uh, we luckily with, with only one guest have had, now we've had a few kind of sketchy, sketchy, uh, issues with audio here and there, but by and large, uh, with the exception of one guest that I had where the audio was so corrupted that it was completely unusable and this was towards the beginning and I feel really, really awful for this guest, but like I was afraid to go back to them quite honestly. And then they reached out like, hey, was there something wrong with my episode? And the answer was no, except that the audio was completely unusable and it's just never gotten back on the on the calendar and I feel really horrible about that because I wasted their time. But um hopefully someday, you know, that that particular guest we can kind of re reconnect because that was one I felt pretty awful about. But uh yeah, audio's huge if you're running a podcast. Um all right, so let's let's pick a winner. Uh so we've got uh Naomi uh with the the John Mueller uh you know and podcast subscription increase question. We've got Mike with the things to avoid Claire with the how can we be more like Azim and Andrew with the how much extra time should you plan for if you're running a podcast question. So who is our winner? I am going to have massive splinters in my backside, but I'm going to approach this as diplomatically as I can. So Andrew, brilliant guy. Great question. A lot of time for him. Solid, solid runner up. Sorry. 
not, not <laughs> on this occasion. Claire, lovely, fantastic person. I think the best gift that anybody could could give would be her friendship. So sorry, Claire. When it comes down to for me, Mike and Naomi. Now, for me, you mentioned Mike is a regular listener. So on the strength of that. Mike will have more opportunities to win this swag purely because it was a, a great question and the confusion around swag. I'm going to have to <laughs> give it to Naomi. So, yeah. All right, Naomi. Wow. Yeah, nice. You win You win the swag and we're not going to send you a tent. We're going <laughs> to send you a box of page two podcast shit we all get. So that's it. Jeff, take us home uh, for season three. That's uh Yo, we're coming to coming to a close here. So, Jeff, take us home. Yeah, I'm about to cry. I think. Just kidding. Don't get emotional <laughs> on me now, Jeff. Um, yeah, out of every episode, this would be the one, right? It's like, <laughs> um, so we like to ask all our guests one final question, and that is, what words of advice would you give a person just getting into SEO? Oh, that is a great question. Um, for me. I would say, and this is a very Azim answer, so hopefully you haven't had an answer like this before, but if you are just starting in the industry, I mentioned it earlier in the episode about the word good, make that your new favorite word. And what I mean by that is if something goes bad or something goes wrong, respond and actually say the word good. Because when things go bad, there will be some good that comes from it. If you're starting out in your career, you didn't get the promotion that you want, good. You didn't win the client pitch, good. You got rejected from a job interview, good. You All you've done is given yourself more time to get better. Prepared for a client meeting and it's got cancelled, good. Focus on another client. You've learned how to manage your time. Unexpected problems, good. Now you've got an opportunity to go back, figure out a solution. If things go bad for you in the beginning, don't beat yourself up and get frustrated. You can just say the word good. It means you're still in the game, you're still alive, you're still breathing, and there's still some some energy and some fight left in you. So get up, dust off, recalibrate, re-engage, and go for those goals again. You can do it good excellent excellent advice to to live yeah. by. turn uh turn those negatives into positives make uh when you get lemons make lemonade yeah or limoncello <laughs> or lemon for clarity <laughs> for clarity that those are not my words um but they are words that i live by if you've ever heard of a guy called jocko welling if you yes. haven't look him up I maybe see that guy yeah I fucking love him i absolutely love him one day I'm going to meet that guy. Is that why you wake up at three in the morning? Yeah. Listen, between three and five. That's his whole I'm thing. Like, yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. Like if I'm normal people, when you wake mm. up in the middle of the night, you look at your watch, you go back to sleep. Me, that's it. I'm up. I'm up full of caffeine, and I'm in that gym, hundred percent. I've been working out at like three sixteen in the morning, but then the downside is seven p.m. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I'm done. I'm done. But some of his stuff and the things that he's seen and been through, like, will shape any yeah. person. And that yeah. those are his words about 
good and I've applied that in my professional career and it's taken me to places I never thought that I would get to to the point where people when they come to me and they say oh this has happened good that's it people think I'm weird sometimes when I say that but it's honestly he's the man but that's all I say that's on that. what, what a guy as long as you didn't say it depends uh, I think any answer would have <laughs> uh, so uh, Azim where can people find you uh, so yeah you can find me on Twitter at Azim Digital, A-Z-E-E-M. Uh, my website is IamAzimDigital.com. I have recently started an Instagram and I've got like four friends on there. I don't know how many friends I've got, but it's literally <laughs> just the same same name. Um, but I can't bore people on, on Twitter with boring gym motivational quotes. So if you're really interested in, in shit like that, that's uh, where you'll find me. So yeah, I do have yes. LinkedIn, rarely use it. It's nonsense for me, like... You should get Kevin and Dig on your podcast, on your weightlifting podcast. Yeah. He might be one of the people on that list. You know, there you go. All right. <laughs> yeah. So uh, make sure, guys, there, guys and girls, everybody, uh, if you have not tuned into Azim's podcast, uh, you can listen to it on Spotify, Apple Play, pretty much anywhere you can get podcasts. It's the Azim Digital Asks uh, Digital Marketing Podcast. So please do us a favor, go out and listen to his podcast excellent excellent uh stuff uh for everybody else uh we will turn this episode around as we always do have a great week this is the last episode for a while this is the end jeff tried to kill me off but he did not succeed we will be back with season four with uh telling more amazing stories that'll probably be at some point august september we need to recharge our batteries we do appreciate uh you know all of the listeners we uh, you know, got a ton of listens. We hit certain thresholds, I would say, that we set before the, you know, before the season for goals for listens. We thank every one of you for that. Uh, and we thank you for listening to our humble little podcast. We will be back in the fall. Thank you so much for listening to the Page Two Podcast. If you'd like to find out more about the show or listen to new episodes, visit us at page2podcast.fm. That's page, the number two, podcast.fm. Our episodes are also available on a number of other platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Pandora, Breaker, Deezer, Overcast, CastBox, PocketCast, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. Additionally, you can also listen and watch our show on our YouTube channel or follow us on Twitter, LinkedIn, or Facebook. If you'd like to get in touch with us, contact us at thepage2podcast at gmail.com. Until next time, happy optimizing.